0: Well, it's very sweet to be with you. I thought we might start um, just with a little quiet. So I'm going to invite all of you just, just to take a minute here to set down. I know you have these beautiful notebooks and pens, but to set those down for a second so that your hands are open. And just for a second, put your, um, rest your hands on your lap with your finger, fingers curled inward. Just resting them there, fingers curled inward. And as a way of letting go of the visual distractions, uh, invite you to close your eyes. And see if you might just give yourself permission to, to rest in your chair to take a deep breath, release it, and see if you might allow yourself just to become aware of God's gentle presence dwelling within you and around you here in our midst. And what is it like to be within that presence, within a community of people who are longing in the same direction with your hands curled inward? Just notice that, what it's like. maybe you notice all that you're holding. Whatever unsettledness resides in your body. Whatever stirring or wandering thoughts. Loved ones that you are concerned for. nagging little tasks that keep drawing your attention. Just notice all that you're holding in the presence of God, in the presence of one another. And then as you're ready, uh, gently uncurl your fingers. Open your hands. And in your own particular way, just within yourself, see if you might release all that you're holding to the one who loves the world into being. Just praying yourself empty. With open hands, just resting in this presence. See if you might just allow yourself to relax, to receive, to take in what God seeks to provide. And then just allow gratitude to rise up in you for whatever has occurred within this little prayer. A gratefulness for this space, for this time away, for your own seeking life. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this time. We thank you for our little hearts. Even with their troubles. Even with their defenses. We thank you that your presence continues to reside. Behind, in front, above, within, alongside us. We ask that during our gatherings that we might glimpse your presence and that we might be receptive to all that you seek to give us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gathering. We pray all this in the name of our brother Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. So each gathering we have a word. Um, tonight's word is story, and we'll be working with story, uh, at, at least in some aspect of it, in every time we get together. But tonight I wanted to focus a little bit more on what story is, because as Christians we're, we're people of story. We're, we're, we practice story. It's through story that the sacred uh, enters the world in our tradition it's a story that turns um, bread and wine into the body and blood. and its story through is the way we pass on the testimonies right that we tell, through what we've seen with our own eyes and touched with our own hands, that we communicate who the Spirit of God is. And we know that God loves stories, right? I mean, uh, Eli Wiesel, the, the Jewish theologian and writer said that God created human beings because God loves stories. Or the Native American writer Thomas King says, the truth about stories is that's all we are. That's all we are. We're a story. And we kind of know this because at the end of our lives, what's left, what remains, is the stories we told and the stories we lived. That's what people carry on after we, we pass. There's a And and there's a power in this story um, language or this story practice, and that power that story has is the power of relationship. Story is relationship. So there were, uh, Paul Zack, a researcher at Emory University, was um, engaged with a number of psychologists to figure out if they could determine which psychological tests could predict uh, which kids who grew up in at-risk environments, which kids would succeed and which kids would struggle? Was, is there, was there a particular test they could give them? They tried the Minneapolis personality test and the Myers-Briggs test, and they had one particular test that he had developed called the Do You Know test. And the way the test worked was this. They said, do you know how you got your name? Do you know anything about your birth story? Do you know how your family came to this town, Right. And they were testing to see if these students knew stories from their family. And it turned out in all these psychological tests, the only test that could predict whether a child was going to succeed even when they were in an at-risk environment was the do-you-know test. The more stories they knew, the more likely their chance was of succeeding. And they said it was too, for two reasons, right? One is um, they, it, if you knew these stories, it meant somebody had spent time with you. Somebody had told you this story. Usually it was mothers and grandmothers who told these stories. And the second thing was that it built neural pathways. right? So when when a kid was struggling, they'd say, you know, my dad, I mean, my grandfather, he started a little vacuum uh, uh, sales business, went bankrupt, paid off all his creditors, started a second business, that failed, kept going, and eventually was able to make it successful as an insurance salesman. You know, they'd know some story like that, and they would know in their brain, you know, we're Yaconelli's. Sometimes times are hard, sometimes times are good, but we, I, I have these stories that I can use as a resource to tell me how to keep going. Right? And this is one of the powers that story has. It connects us to our identity, our vitality, our history, our ancestors, our sense of self. And it can give us that relationship to parts of ourselves. Sometimes you can't make contact with parts of yourself unless you have a story. You hear a story of courage, and it brings courage up in your body just listening to it, just hearing it. You hear a story of the civil rights uh, students in Nashville who sat on the lunch counter there, and it creates in you the possibility of, of being a um, soldier for peace. And so parts of ourselves are sometimes dormant until we have a story that draws that forth. So story connects us to ourselves and it connects us to others, right? There's an empathic, uh, there's a definition of enemies, which is an enemy is someone whose story you don't know. That once we know someone's story, we go, okay, I understand, I get it now, right? Story connects us to others and story connects us to the sacred, what matters. And we know something about this power, because if you're lucky when you're a kid, when you're little, if you're lucky, you get someone who tells you stories, right? The the one good babysitter who at night says, okay, if you get in bed, I'll tell you a story. Yes. And so you get in the bed and if they're really good, right, they, they make up the story and you're in it, right? So suddenly you're laying there in bed and there's once upon a time, the people in Greenland had no food. And we were in Nova Scotia, and there was a ship, and the captain was drunk. The crew had fled, and it was just you and me. And we got on that ship, and we untethered uh, the lines, and we took it out in the water. But the problem was a big fog had come in. We can't drive a boat in the fog. We had to drive the boat in the fog. We had to get the, the food to the... And there was a noise out in the water, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're little, you leave your body, you leave time and space, and you feel like you're on that boat. And you can see the fog, and, and you can feel the salt water, and you hear the creature that's out there, and you feel the courage, and you feel that intimacy with your babysitter, because it's just the two of you riding this boat out into the water. right? Or you get that teacher, the good teacher, who says, um, Okay, if you help me clean the room, I'll read two chapters from the book. Yes! And everybody looks at Troy, "Troy, don't screw this up. <laughs> <laughs> Help us out here." And so then you get the room clean, and all 25 students, you sit on the floor, and the teacher brings out the book, starts reading, you know? You're in the north of England in some kind of uh, uh, abandoned mansion. Someone's coming upstairs. And you all run into the wardrobe, slam the door. You're in there among the jackets. And it's not just you, it's you and the other 23 students, the teacher, you're all in there with the Pevensey children. and You see the little light glancing off the snow in the back and you feel that connection. And in that storytelling, right, in the book, you suddenly have this release and this relief. You're no longer in whatever dynamics are going on in your classroom. You get to escape whatever's happening at home in your family and you're in another world in another place, and you're on an adventure, and you're feeling courage and curiosity and possibility rising up in you. This is this power story has, right? So when my daughter was uh, three years old, she refused to wear clothes. And it didn't, you know, so you you try a lot of things, right? So we try like, you know, little polyester things or cotton or, um, you know, uh, velvety stuff. Didn't matter. It was too loose, too tight, it's scrunchy, it's pushing on my neck. The clothes would come off. Right? We live in southern Oregon, up uh, in the Cascade Mountains there, where the Cascades meet the Siskiyous there, and it gets cold, it gets dark, and we were homebound, because we could not go outside with this naked three-year-old child, or in our town, someone would call Child Protection Services, <laughs> you know, sp- particularly when it's cold. So we're stuck inside, right? night after night. January, the darkest month, the coldest month, um, we were going stir-crazy. We, we had not been out to dinner. We had not been out for pizza. just needed to get out of the house. We had two uh, older boys, too, who were six and eight. And one night, my wife says, we're going out for pizza tonight. I'm getting the boys dressed. I'm going to be in the van. You get Gracie dressed, and you meet me there, right? And, of course, little naked Gracie's like, okay, we'll see how this goes. you know. And so they get in the van, and I say, hey, let's go up to your room. So we're in her room, and it's like, hey, where's these, oh, this is, oh these are the, I love these clothes so much. You know, this little velvet thing that she would keep on once in a while, you know, you know shirt and pants. I get the stuff on, and I'm like, wow, that looks great. Okay, we're going to go, Dad, it's too loose. It's too loose. It's too loose. And she throws all the clothes off. And immediately, I go into story brain. So I run to the window and I say, um, Grace, you can't say Toulouse. Why? Well, come over here. Yeah? Do you see up there? You see up there? You see the mountains up there? You see the very top where those t- tallest trees are? Yeah. That's where the fawn village is. The fawn village is up there. And the youngest fawn is named Toulouse. And if you start saying Toulouse, Toulouse, He'll hear you, because you know fawns have big ears, and he'll hear you, and he'll come down into, I want him to come, no, we don't want him to come down. We don't want him to come down, because if he comes down, you know how people are, they'll grab him, and they'll keep him in their house, and so we have to be very careful. Now, as I'm talking, right, I'm putting on pants, I'm putting on shirt, I'm picking her up, and it's like, Now, you know, the weird thing about Toulouse is he didn't like the other kid fawns. He liked the oldest fawn, and his name was Styx, you know, and I'm walking telling her this story. And as long as I kept talking, and as long as I kept telling the story, right, we could go out and have pizza. (laughs) I had to talk the whole time telling this story. world. Because what happened to her, right, is she left her body, she left time and space, and she was in this world, you know, with the... The, the, the little fawns with their fur legs, you know, and their, their, their horns and all this stuff up that world. So this became the beginning of the fawn Toulouse stories, where every night she'd say, can you tell me a story about Toulouse and the fawn village? And Yes, yeah, okay, okay look, yeah, get in bed. Okay, you know, one time uh, Toulouse wanted to meet a human child. And so um, he had to find someone who was good, though, and, and honest and trustworthy. And he found this one girl he saw in the town, and her name was Grace. And he decided, Dad, what? That's my name. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> You're right, right? So every night, it was the Toulouse the Fawn and Grace story, right? We tell these stories for two and a half, three weeks, and then Grace says, um, Dad, on a Saturday can we um, go hiking up in the hills up where the Vaughan Village is? I said, sure. So I get backpacks, and we put some things in them. We go up there. We kind of live by the Pacific Crest Trail. And we go up, we drive, we park, go into the woods. There's you know, cedars and ponderosa pines. And, and in the particular woods above where we live, there's giant granite boulders, some as some high as the ceiling. They're kind of placed solitary. But there was one cluster of them, maybe five of them, And we are walking around the woods. Gracie sees these giant boulders in the woods, and she says, Dad, this is it. This is the fawn village. They make it look like rocks when people are around. And then when we're gone, it's their village. And she starts looking around, and she's seeing signs of this, right? She's seeing sticks. Dad, this is a fawn walking stick right here. Right? And she sees this kind of twirling, curling bark on the manzanita tree. And she's like, Dad, they take this. This is like scrolls. This is their paper. She sees a, 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 a burned-out campfire with Pap's Blue Ribbon cans. She's like, Dad, this is what the Fawns drink. Just like you. Right? So we're hiking around, and all of a sudden, just spontaneously, Grace goes, "Fawns." Fawns, you can come out, you come out. It's me, it's Grace. And she's walking around the rocks. Fawns, it's Grace. You can come out. You know? And there's no sign, and there's no sound. There's no fawns. Right? So we hike and play a little bit more. We go home next weekend. Dad, can we go back to the fawn village? Yeah, great. And she's got these little... Uh, walnut shells. She's got six or seven of them, just half shells. She's put candies and little papers and things in them. She carefully puts them in her backpack, gets in the back of the van, we drive up, we hike up to the fawn village where the rocks are and she goes and she puts a little gift in front of every home, every fawn home, right? And she waits and then she calls. Fawns! Fawns! You can come out! It's Grace! come out, I brought you something, right? And she calls and goes around and calls and there's nothing. No sight of any fawns and no sound, nothing. And I start to get this worried feeling because I know that in the stories, right, the fawn, fawns only appear to those kids who are good. And she's starting to, I can tell, inside of herself feeling this judgment. So... I start to change the story, right? I say, you know, sometimes fawns just decide they don't want to see anybody, even if a person is good. Dad, that's not how it is. <laughs> they do come out to people who are good. So we go back and I tell my wife this, and she says, you have created a problem. <laughs> right? So every three or four weeks, she wants to go up, and we're searching for these fawns, and we're bringing different, more and more and more elaborate gifts, and the fawns aren't showing. Pretty soon it's about six or seven months have gone by, and Grace says, Dad, uh, well, I want to go look for the fawns one last time, but if they don't show up, um, I don't want to look for them anymore, and I don't want you to tell me any more stories about the fawns. So this is very elaborate, she has drawings, she actually has, uh, she dictates notes that she wants me to write down, messages, we get all these notes. I don't know what's happening, we're just in something. I put all these things in the backpack, we go up to the hill, we leave the notes. This time she says, Dad, you need to call for the Fawns too. So I'm saying, "Fawns, Fawns, come out. Says, Dad, don't pretend like you're calling, <laughs> actually call. So I'm trying to actually call, you know, like, Fawns, come out, come on, we want to see you. We leave the notes, we leave the pictures. Nothing is appearing. And Grace says, Dad, can you just put me on top of that rock? And so I I lift her up, and she kind of scurries up on this one boulder. And she closes her eyes, and she puts her hands over her heart, and she just starts to sing. Pawns, you can trust me. My name is Grace, and I want to be your friend. Right? She just makes up this song. She's singing and singing, knowing that music has a kind of magic. right? And she sings and sings, and I'm just devastated. My heart is breaking watching this pure soul sing like this. And when she gets done with her song, she opens her eyes, and she looks around. And there's nothing. And so I reach up and I help her down and I'm trying to console her. Grace, we don't know what's happening. We don't know why they're not. Dad, I don't want you to talk right now. I just want us to be quiet. So she's sad and I'm sad because this is the end of this time. right? And I decided on that particular day... Um, that instead of going back to our car, that we would take a trail that I knew went into the town of Ashland where we live. And So we're holding hands, and we're going down this trail. And it goes down uh, into a two-mile park we have called Lithia Park. That park has ponds and, and little forest areas and, and wide grass uh, places as well. We come down the hill. We come uh, to a particular place where there's a grass meadow. And as we come to the edge of the trees and we come to that meadow, there, standing in the middle of the grass, fur legs, matted goatee, horns coming out of the side of his head, playing a wooden flute is a fawn. Now it was just some guy <laughs> who had fur pants <laughs> and this goatee and he had wired deer antlers to his head and he had oak leaves that he'd put across his eyes like a mask, right? He cut out and made these oak leaf masks. No shirt, dancing around playing this flute. Gracie, we're holding hands at the edge, watching this guy. And Grace says, there he is. <laughs> and I think, this guy's on drugs. <laughs> right? But I have to play this out. <laughs> so we go walking out into the grass towards the fawn, right? Right? And we get closer and closer, and this guy's dancing, playing this flute, and he sees us, and he stops, and he looks at us. And I said, "Uh, Mr. (laughs) Vaughn, we have been looking for you for a very long time. And I said, "Um, this is my daughter, Grace, and she's a really good person. And she loves the woods, and she cares about the forest, and she's just really wanted to meet you. And this guy, whoever he was, um, gets on his knees so that he's at eye, eye level with Gracie. And he says, oh, yes, I know Grace is a good person. And, and I know you care about the woods. And he said, I'd like to meet you too. And so with his, his, his oak Leaf eye mask and his deer horns and his goatee. You know he puts his hand out and Grace puts her little hand out and they shake hands. She comes back and I said, "Do you want to say anything?" She says, "No." <laughs> and then she backs off slowly. And the guy says, "Hey, if you ever want to see me again, I, I usually sleep over there by those rhododendrons. <laughs> and uh, there's a backpack and a sleeping bag there. You know this guy's a traveler. So thank you so much." And uh, we back up and then Grace takes off running through the park, yelling, I saw a fawn, I saw a fawn, I saw a fun! I saw a fawn. And when I finally catch up to her, she says, Dad, now do you believe? Now do you believe? And this is what stories do. This is what stories do. I've been on a book tour, did 90, 60 cities, 91 events. I did a lot of universities, I did a lot of high schools. And among many young adults that I ran into, there is very little hope, very little hope in the future. There's just kind of a despair. Because the stories that they're hearing and the stories that we feed people in our culture bring up, dis- bring up that sense of despair and depression and fear and anxiety and hopelessness. They need a story. They need a story that helps them trust and go seeking for things that they have been told are not possible, that they have been told could never happen. Sometimes when you're told stories of fawns, you find them. Not in the way you expected, not in the way you thought, but it shows up. This is sort of the essence of our faith, right? That if we'll step out, if we'll trust when people say Peace is not possible in this world. You hear stories of peace, you hear stories of peacemakers, and you go searching, and you go creating little gifts, and you go up into the woods and you call for it, again and again and again, until you see it, until it shows. And it often begins with a story. Um, Outside the modern museum of art, they they put a shipping container and there was a sign in front of that container on the sidewalk that said, Empathy Museum. And if you had time on that busy street, uh, you'd go inside, three walls inside the shipping container, floor to ceiling, little cubbies. In each of the cubbies, a pair of worn shoes. And they would have the size, right? men seven, women six, this kind of thing. And the curator of that museum would say, well, find a pair of shoes you're willing to where? So you'd look, and you'd choose a pair that was interesting to you, put them on. And then they'd walk you outside the shipping container, and uh, the curator would show you an arrow taped to the sidewalk, a line of arrows, right? And they would say, you're going to follow these arrows. You're invited to walk one mile in someone else's shoes. Right? And then they'd give you headphones. And you'd take the headphones... And it would be the person who owned that very pair of shoes telling you their life story. A Syrian refugee, a single mom working two jobs and raising three kids, a cancer survivor, someone who's been in the Iraq War, right? Telling you their life story as you're wearing their very shoes. And the curator told me when people come back, we used to give them a three-by-five card. Would you like to send a note to the person who owns those shoes? And it said time after time people would say, I'm going to need about 10 of these, right? Because I need to tell this person, I had a prejudice. I had a stereotype. I had a a different idea of people like you in your situation. But now that I've heard your story and walked in your shoes, you've changed me. Or I have something different. Or they'd want to write, I know this story. I've lived something very similar. I want you to know. I, I, I know what this is like even though we have different lives, different places, different backgrounds. And what happened, you know, when you do that exercise was the very same thing that happened to you when you were a child. Walking with those headphones on in those shoes, you left your body, you left time and space, and you sat in the life of another person, and you saw the world the way they see it, and hear as they hear, and felt as they felt it. And unless you were really defended, your heart would break open, and you would feel compassion. This is this power story has. Story is the language of human experience. Every time we tell a story, what we're saying to someone else is, this is what it feels like to be me, right? You send your spouse, you know, my wife sends me down to the grocery store. And you, you know, we tell stories all day long. You come back, did you get the food? I, I, yes, I, I got the food. But it was nuts down there. What do you mean? Somebody had a chicken. What do you mean? They had a live chicken in the line. They were holding this chicken. And, and, and she's saying, like, no, no, we, don't worry. We raised it. It's like a cat. It's a pet. But, you know, this thing was eyeballing me. And you told me to get chicken legs, and it knew it, that I was holding these things. Right? And so, all of a sudden, the thing comes at me when she tried to get her wallet. I hit the chicken. People are yelling at me. It was chaos down there. right? You know how we tell our our spouses and friends, like, what would happen in traffic or what happened at work? You know, what we're trying to do is help the other person to experience what we just experienced, to see, hear, feel what we just felt. This is what the gospel writers are doing, right? They're trying to tell you the story so that you can see it, hear it, feel it, and experience the same aha, the same miraculous wonder the same sense of compassion or empathy. This is what story has the power to do. So what I've learned is, the best way to sort of communicate this is not through just me talking, but is through getting you folks to tell stories yourself. This is usually when you text your best friend saying, call me now, get me out of here. But, uh, but just ha- hang in just for a little bit longer. Okay. What we're going to do in a minute here is I, I want us to try to find a way just for tonight to explore how story works between us and how it works within us. So what I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to invite you to get into groups of three or four, okay, but not five, not five, because there's not enough time for five. So three or four, and I want you to think of a place that you loved when you were little some place that you loved when you were little. Now, if you don't want to go all the way back to when you were little, you don't have to. Just choose a a, a place that you love this year. But but if you do decide, you know, maybe it was your grandmother's backyard, and there was a little creek there, and you used to play there all the time, or uh, maybe it was a place you only went to one time. You know, one time your family went camping in Oregon. You still remember being up at that lake and fishing with your grandfather. You never went back again, but that's still a, a very special memory and a special place Uh, in your memory. You're going to think of a special place. You're going to have two or three minutes to tell that place to the other two or three people in your group. And I want those in the group to just listen. Okay? So don't ask questions. Don't say, did you say Nebraska? Because I... No. Don't ask questions. And don't comment. You know, don't comment. There's a movie. You really need to... Just listen. And when they're done, just say thank you. So don't go into conversation, even if there's something really interesting and really cra- just for now. Don't just say thank you when they're done, and until and then let the next person share, and the next person until everybody has gone around. So you're each going to share some place that was special to you when you were little, or just some place that was special to you. Describe it so they can see it, hear it, feel it. Everybody has two or three minutes. I'll watch the clock up here. You'll just listen, say thank you, and then we'll come back. Okay? So. As you're bringing your attention this way, what was it like for you to remember... What was it like to remember and share this experience? What was it like just for you to remember and tell it? It brings you right back. It brings you right back. It's like time travel. You start to tell it and then you get there. Yeah, so a lot of times telling us. Telling a story, particularly personal stories, is, is like casting a spell or conjuring a, a world. And if you have good listeners and you really get to tell it, uh, you go back there. Yeah. Yes? As I was telling I was remembering more. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yes, when you have good listeners, you, you intend to tell, you kind of have a plan, you start talking. But as you're telling it, when the listing's good, you become a listener too sometimes. like You're noticing like, oh wow, there's all this other stuffs coming out. That I'm remembering. I start to remember more as I sit in that world. Yeah. Others, what was it like for you to remember and share? Yeah, in the back. I think that now that I'm a parent myself, it just is incredible empathy that you have for your own parents of what they went through and, you know, what it means to have three little girls through an amusement park in my case. Yeah. Yeah, so you start to feel it the memory from different sides and, and you feel the people that are, you were talking about a place but you started remembering the people too and the empathy is that what you're saying that you had for them yeah that sense of wow I can see it from their eyes now mm-hmm. yeah I've always struggled with storytelling and I think this exercise reminded me of like I become really self-conscious when I talk about myself and I feel like I'm kind of like judging my story and uh-huh. i kind of like this push and pull and then it makes it hard for me to To this day I'm still I still want to be a better storyteller. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like for you to listen to others in your group? It was cool. It was cool? Did you you liked hearing their experiences? I love hearing about other people's stories. Yeah. My guess is they probably feel the same way when they're hearing you. Mm -hmm. You know. It it's hard it may be hard to know that but you feel that, but like when you're telling things, people love to hear about other lives and things too. But it, it is awkward what we're doing here. I just throw people in and telling stories, so so I understand that as well. Um, others, what was it like to be a... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Like, I noticed things that maybe I wouldn't have recalled before, or, like, I would see, like, I would... If I, I were to tell the story again, I might, like, notice other things, or see things before. Right, so in this particular telling, certain things are coming to you, but you can imagine like at another time with different people, other things come. Yeah, because we have this rich set of life experiences. You know, we tend to live very, very small. And then all of a sudden you remember this one moment and you can feel, wow, just one moment I'm talking about, or one place, relationships, the emotions of that time, what was going on with me, that weird cat. You know, all that stuff starts coming to you and you start feeling a little wider who, uh, your sense of self. Yeah. What was it like to be a listener? What was it like to listen to others? Yeah. I it so I wanted to ask you wanted to ask questions. Other people I see nod in their heads. I want to dig a you want to dig a little deeper. Yeah. Which, and sometimes that's really sweet, right? We want to ask questions, we want to connect, we want to learn more. But as this gentleman said, you know, like, when he was telling a story, like, I could... I was in the world, I was back there, right? And if all of a sudden somebody said, did you say your dad drove a Ford F-150? <laughs> the whole thing goes away and I'm trying to figure out what it is you need, right? So I wanted people to just be in the spell. And so by not interrupting and not asking questions and just listening, I can be in that world and I start discovering new things, as you, as you two said. You know, more things start to come, and I'm there. And that's what story is. Story is conjuring a world. It's going back, you're reliving an experience and it's full body meaning making. You're, you're, you're bringing the whole body into it. What you saw, smell, felt, touched, right? Yeah. So it is a weird rule, but I'm just, I wanted you just experience that. Yeah. Um, when I was watching other people and listening to them, it was nice to see how happy they were remembering it. Yeah. So you're picking up their body language. You're seeing that there's smiles or there's a happiness that kind of comes over them. And so there's a pleasure in just kind of receiving that energy. Yeah, wow, they're kind of there's a happiness there. And our bodies catch it too. Yeah. Anything else It was like to listen? Yeah. Uh, was able to make connections to some of the similarities like in our stories there's a similarity around nature and adventure um, and is able to connect to that. Yeah, so sometimes you're listening, totally different life, different person, different situation, but it's like, wait a minute, I know this, there's a connection there, or certain, certain themes are the same. And you feel we're not so different sometimes. Yeah, okay. Okay, so we're going to try another one because I, I know some of, some of you got a bad group. <laughs> I know. You're, you're too nice to say it. You just got a bad group. And, um, and, and, you're, and you feel like I'm going to be stuck with these guys the whole time. So we're going to do another exercise so people can, can have some And we'll make everybody switch so nobody knows that you're getting away from that particular group. It's just one of the rules, Okay. So let's, tell, let's, let's think of a moment where you, where you got in trouble. For you younger folks, this is going to be really good. Go look for the adults you want to hear from. So a time you got in trouble. Now I'm going to, now I'm going to give you, I want to give you, you're in charge of your own sharing. So only share things you feel like you want to tell. But, um... Maybe it was a time you, you actually broke a rule, right? You, you, let, you snuck out of school. You were supposed to be in school, and you left school, okay? Maybe, and, or, and you got in trouble. Or maybe it was a time when um, uh, you want to tell a story when you should have gotten in trouble, but you got away with it. Or maybe you want to tell a story where you were troubled. You were in love with somebody, and you didn't know what to do. And, uh, and you were all troubled and all torn up, okay? So just use the word whatever way you want. But a time you were in trouble, okay? And you're, whatever that means to you, when you were younger. We don't want to hear about what happened last week because we may have to report you legally. So, so find different people, a different group of three or four, same rules, no questions, no comments. Share an experience of being in trouble, getting in trouble. Breaking a rule. Maybe it was your own rule you broke. What was it like for you to remember and share these experiences? Yeah. This one didn't bring up the same kind of emotions as the others did. I felt like a little distance or I could laugh about it. At uh-huh. the time, I was terrified, but <laughs> Yeah, so at the time you were terrified, but, but now you could kind of, with distance, you could kind of laugh about it. Different set of emotions than, than what the last one did. Yeah, right. Others, what was it like for you to remember and share? Yeah. Uh, I think it was pretty awful to remember. Pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah. So. And also, the other thing is thinking about all the other options that I didn't choose to share. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You were blocking things out. You're like, what can this group handle? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you remember it, and it brings up some of those feelings. And then you have to decide, you know, when you're in these groups... Do I trust these people? Like, are they gonna, you know, on a couple levels, are they gonna listen the whole time, or they, or are they distracted by their phones or looking around, and, and then like, this is maybe a little vulnerable, and we have to decide whether. So sharing stories, particularly in, in the way we're doing it here, you're practicing trust. How much do I trust these people? And the listening is what's really important. Are people really present or not? Others, what what did you notice in these in this sharing? I think it's uh, um, the trouble moment is um, never forget that kind of... You thing. never forget it. Yeah, it's uh, right there. It's burned. Mean, think about that one. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's, for me, it's uh, more than uh, the, the, the previous uh, sharing. It's uh, what is the, the special place uh, or happy yes. place. Yes, so was very different than that. What was it like for you to hear other people's troubled experiences? I think it's that uh, they never forget that either. You can feel it. Okay, this is really important, so you feel that kind of sense of connection around that. Yeah. Others, yeah? I don't know if this is universal. at our group, it seemed like everybody's troubled story was very, like, told very lightheartedly. Mm. <laughs> ah. Even though at the time, it was probably more traumatic than the story was almost, it made us laugh. Yeah, right, okay, with the distance. Yeah, we heard that a little bit there too, yeah. Yeah, uh, it showed that, that there was a certain amount of growth. So you can tell it's more lightly now because that troubling moment, you learn from it. And, and you can tell, like, apparently, hey, I'm going way past so I should mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what did you feel about human beings listening to these stories? What were you feeling about people, just given the little sampling of stories you heard? Yeah. I feel like a lot of people have stories, they just don't realize they can tell them. Yeah, a lot of people have stories, they have experiences, they don't realize they can tell them. You know, often it's because nobody asks them, you know? You know, like nobody's asked you about a special place, so... Sometimes, for some of you, maybe it's been 10, 20, 30 years. You haven't thought of it. And then someone asks you, and then it's like, whoa, I have this whole thing that I have forgot about. Or there was this moment that I have purposely forgotten. (laughs) And then somebody asks, and you bring it out, right? So every human being you meet is hoping for a good question and a listening ear. We all want to have parts of ourselves that we can bring back to the surface but we need a kind ear that's going to listen to it. Otherwise, our lives get really small. <laughs> what am I going to do today? What's the problem? What needs to be fixed? What's my to-do list? How do I make things happen? Right? And you forget, I have all of this life I've lived but nobody ever asks me. So one of the ways we connect to one another, right, because story works beneath right and wrong. Story is not right and wrong. Story is not works beneath true and false. Story is the language of human experience. And so when I tell a story, I'm trying to get you to live something with me. And if you live that with me, there's empathy, there's compassion, there's connection. Did you feel that a little bit in your groups? Like they're telling the story and you're going, oh no, you didn't. Yes, I put the ladder up to the house. I crawled up and you're like, no, right? Because you're in that situation with them and you feel that sense of connection. So that even if you found out later that that person has the opposite pol- politics of you th- than you have, you'd say, you know, I felt their humanity there, and it's going to be a lot harder to kind of write them off. The story has that kind of power. So in our um, verse today, that that Kevin and the team put in the in the notebook, it mentions uh, I think it's Matthew 10:13 13, or 13:10. 13, yeah, the other way. And Jesus is told a story, and the, and the disciples say, Why do you speak in stories? This is a loose translation. And Anthony de Mello, this, this one uh, Jesuit priest, wrote, the way he translated the, uh, the Greek was, um, Don't you know? Jesus responds to the disciples, The reason I speak in stories, don't you know that the shortest distance between a human being and the truth is a story? The shortest distance between a human being and the truth is a story. Because stories address our whole body, mind, heart, imagination, um, all of us is involved. It's not just a simple idea. When you sit with someone, if I said, get in your groups and um, get to know each other. How long have you lived here? Where do you work? How long have you been at this church? Right? Those would all be ideas. Tell me about a time you got in trouble. Now I start to feel the warp and woof of your life. I start to feel the vitality. I start to feel how your life moves, what you're like. Tell me about a special place. I see the happiness, like you were saying, in in people as they're telling the stories, or the joy, or, wow, my mom, she had it hard. And I start to get a feel for your life in a different way. This is the primary practice of the Christian faith is telling stories because it allows us a full-body experience of each other, and of God. So I just want to close with this final image, and I know our, our youth, our children are coming back. Um, so I use story in different communities for different reasons, and we'll, we'll start looking at some of those patterns tomorrow, but I worked in a school where there had been, uh, in Southern Oregon, there had been a, a fire, 2020. A third of the kids lost their homes. And this is 2020, right? So COVID, uh, vaccines had come out. People couldn't gather like we normally do when there's a disaster and then they come back to school in the spring of 2021 and they have masks on, they're six feet apart um, and they're traumatized for what's been going on with the fires. They're traumatized because of COVID and they weren't speaking to each other. You know, there's just, there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. So the school hired a team of counselors and they put the counselors in the hallways in the cafeteria. Counselors had little cubbies with, you know, stuffed animals and purple scarves and the tissue boxes and the little warm chairs. And nobody wanted to go in there. It looked frightening to these high school kids, you know. So they said, what if, they came to me and said, what if you trained a team to do storytelling so kids could tell stories? So we trained teams, we went into classrooms for five days, and we'd ask kids, what's a place you loved when you were little? And they'd have their masks, they'd be six feet apart, they'd tell their stories, right? And they'd connect. Oh, yeah, I love that place, too. Tell a story of a weird experience with an animal we had a three-legged dog and he could spell. And they would tell these stories, right? And people would be laughing and stuff like that, right? Towards the end of the week, we started asking deeper stories. And we finally said, why don't we each share a moment of struggle? Tell me a moment where you were struggling in this last year. And the kids, now that they've been practiced doing this every day, uh, got in their circles. And this time they scooted closer and their voices dropped, and they talked quieter, and they talked in lower tones, and they made eye contact, and they told these moments of struggle. And when they were done, just sort of like here, I said, so what was it like to tell those stories to one another? And one young man raised his hand, and uh, Seattle Seahawks jersey, wild black hair, about six foot two, big guy. He said, man, that was joyful. I said, joyful? These were stories of struggle, why was it joyful? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, we were stories of struggle. He said, every story in my group was depressing, but I could see myself in every story. And that was joyful, right? The anxiety, the isolation, the distance dissipated, and he felt connected again. The Christian faith is the practice of relationship, and story is one of the ways we build those relationships with one another, with ourselves and with uh, God's presence. So thank you for trusting me in these little exercises. I wanted to get this out. The next three days, we're going to follow Jesus's story a little bit and see how it relates to our own. Um, Let's close with a a little little, uh, prayer. We thank you, God, that you've made us storytellers, people who have lives with dimension and complexity, with beauty and struggle, and that we can live a little bit in each other's lives, feel one another, feel that sense of communion in being companions on the way. And we ask that in this time, you help us to find a deeper way to connect to one another, to strengthen our sense of community, our sense of self, and deepen our awareness of you. Thank you for this time together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow morning.